This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. We're going to talk about a polarizing subject for brewers today, maybe one that shouldn't be as polarizing as it is, but uh, um, certainly if you were to hop onto social media and uh, ask a bunch of brewers what they thought about hard seltzer, you'd get a mixed bag of opinions. My guest uh, for this conversation today is Chris Colby, who has just authored a new book for Brewers Publications called How to Make Hard Seltzer. Uh, Chris has written for us in the past at Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, getting information about how to make hard seltzer, its uh, it's been an interesting one. It's hard to pry some of the more interesting secrets out of folks that are making it these days. Um, and so there's not a lot of knowledge out there around how to do it. We're going to talk in this episode about just that. Before we do, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GND Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel GND ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Ninkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and more trust GD to chill the beer that you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, brewers seeking amplifying malt and distillers hunting down delicious base options welcome Gamernus Rye Malt as their malt choice. This rye malt gives spicy, grainy, and bready notes with suggestions of vanilla and sweet dough. It strengthens mouthfeel, viscosity, and head retention combined with flaked oats or wheat for IPAs and is a solid base for a wide range of distilled spirits. Learn more about Gamernus Rye Malt at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at one 800 Three seven four two seven three nine. So, Chris, you've got a long history of writing uh, and sharing information and curating information and pulling things together for those in the brewing space. Walk me through a little bit of uh, of your history in writing uh, and covering the world of craft beer. Well, I um, I've been a home brewer since uh, graduate school. I think I started in about nineteen ninety one and uh, home brewed for many years. Uh, Started out, I was in a tiny little apartment in Boston. Uh, started out, you know, doing extract beers because it was just easy. And uh, at, at that point, I had enough difficult stuff in my life, you know, in, in science and graduate school that, uh, you know, something that was easy and ended up with beer was it was a great, uh, a great hobby. Uh, eventually switched sort of via partial mashing in, into uh, all grain brewing. Um, and then later I moved with my wife to, uh, Bastrop, Texas, which is near Austin. And, um, I worked in a educational publishing, uh, firm for a while. And I started writing, uh, for brew your own magazine at that time. Um, that turned into, uh, being the, an associate editor and that turned into being the editor for a while. Um, now I have my own website, uh, beer and wine journal. Dot com and uh, I've been mainly focusing on uh, my freelance writing in the, in the past couple of years, which is uh, mostly brewing, but also a little bit of gardening, a little bit of cooking, a little bit of other crazy hobbies of mine. Uh, so that's that's my basic uh, career in in writing. Uh, I've, I've published three books, uh, two 
via Page Street, uh, Homebrew Recipe Bible and uh, Methods of Modern Homebrewing. And I just wrote my first book for uh, the BA, How to Make Hard Seltzer. And I should have another book uh, through BA uh, Brewers Association. Uh, I should have one out in 2021 too on uh, brewing and science. Brewing and science. Cool. Yeah. Um, Seltzer, obviously this book is, uh, is brand new and is uh, tearing up the, the brewing charts. Um, what uh, spurred you on to decide to write a book about making hard seltzer? Uh, money. <laughs> I, uh, the, I the was... same, the same reason the brewers want to make hard seltzer, right? Yeah, exactly. I was, I was actually, I had been contracted to write the science and brewing book and I was about maybe a fifth of the way through that, a fourth, uh, well into it. And I was, because I was posting, uh, you know, a, a reasonable amount of writing, uh, every week I, I was checking in with my, my contact at, at Brewers Publication, and, and they, they knew I wrote quickly. Uh, they contacted me and said, "Hey, we need a book like you know yesterday. Can you can you do it?" And I said, "Sure, you know." Um, and so yeah, it wasn't that I have any driving passion for hard seltzers. It was just uh, I'm a writer. Uh, I I enjoy writing about uh, brewing, especially techniques in brewing. And this was uh, an opportunity to write about an interesting topic, technique wise, certainly. And one that uh, I think a lot of commercial brewers need right now uh, to generate revenue. And, and I think uh, a reasonable amount of home brewers are, are interested in it uh, just due to the, the technical challenges. You know, and that is the interesting piece about it. It is not easier to do, like, you know, uh, as much as some people may decry that it is just, you know, simply fermenting sugar and making some ethanol, um, producing a clean and uh, good tasting hard seltzer is actually far more difficult, I think, than, uh, than brewing a good batch of, of beer. Um, you know, so you, as a writer, how'd you set about, um, figuring out this process? Uh, obviously as we've, we've done the same on the magazine side and, uh, you know, put writers on this beat, but brewers, professional brewers that are working in this space, you know, tend to be a little more tight-lipped about their process around seltzer making uh, than they are about brewing. You know, obviously, it's a very quickly evolving, uh, you know, field. Uh, folks are figuring out new approaches. Um, there's new equipment coming onto the market all the time to kind of enable this. Um, and so these processes are evolving as are preferences from consumers. Um, talk to me a little bit about your process of digging in and researching and figuring out and understanding how these things being made commercially in my uh 20 years or so of writing about beer and brewing i'd made uh, you know a number of contacts and also uh <clears throat> christy switzer uh who's who's the, the publisher at, at brewer's publication uh you know put me in touch with some people so I, I i talked with a number of people on the record and i, and I spoke with several people you know who said this is off the record don't mention my name with this uh just through contacts and i i you know just i kept uh, interviewing people just kept asking, uh, the same dumb question over and over, like not, you know, didn't presume that anyone knew what the other one was doing and how they approached it. And I, you know, I, I got to a point where, you know, the book was maybe seven eighths done. And I kept thinking like, Oh God, I hope this is right. You know, I hope this is like, <laughs> um, you know, I haven't just hooked onto a few people who are doing it some weird oddball way, but luckily at the, at right about then the, uh, CBC had an, uh, Craft Brewers Conference did their conference online this year, and they had a panel on uh, hard seltzers. 
and and they got up there and and went through and it was basically yeah everything <laughs> just confirmed everything that I had and so I was like okay I'm on I'm on the right path here and and I had a, I had some added stuff that they they didn't cover so yeah it was just talking to a lot of people uh, in the know in, including sure. uh, some people I can't mention but who have been involved in uh, making uh, sort of IRC malt beverages you know for a long time and, and you know from the from the early years of, of making them and then uh, you know uh, current people making them including I, I had an extensive conversation with a guy from Alaskan Brewing because he uh, Christy Switzer the, the my contact at Brewers Publication used to work at Alaskan Brewing and so there's uh, he, he was a major reference and I, and I talked to Ashton Lewis who's at Brewers Supply Group he was a major reference and then I, I talked with you know people who uh, there's a guy selling whose name I forget right now but he sells like kits to uh, craft brew, like a brew pub, like you want to brew seven barrels of hard seltzer and he sells a kit that's like the yeast and, and the, the required yeast nutrients. And, you know, every, you add the sugar, uh, you, you add the flavors, but as we'll surely get into the, the balance of yeast and yeast nutrients is the, is the key to the whole thing. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, let's uh, dig in and start talking about some of the fundamentals, uh, you know, for those that are interested in making their own hard seltzer. Before we do that, uh, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clove, or artfully layer exotic zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale, adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off your first order with the code CRAFTBEER10. Also, Grandstand is your source for the latest trends in branded drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. They make your job easy by serving as your one-stop shop for everything you need to outfit your taproom and fans. Current trends include to-go drinkware, tie-dyed prints, and portable coolers, of course, everything to take beer out of a brewery these days. Visit egrandstand.com forward slash lookbook to see what's trending. So, you know, say I am a brewer, professional or a home brewer, and I want to get started making my own hard seltzer. I mean, I have a, a rough idea of, of, I mean, obviously I've got some experience brewing. I understand the, you know, the kind of beer process, um, you know, from your research and what you've learned from uh, pros that are doing this well. Um, what are some of the most fundamental key things to pay attention to? Where do, where do you get started? And where are those kind of points of difference from the brewing process uh, that those interested in in making hard seltzer should pay special care with. Yeah, anyone who you know, certainly anyone who's a professional brewer has has or should have the the skill sets under their belt to to produce these. The uh, I mean the the basic way they're produced is you make a sugar wash, you ferment that, then you clean it up, which, which is different from beer. You you generally don't attempt to strip flavors and colors and aromas from beer, uh, though you do in hard seltzers. And then at the end, you, you blend it all together. You put in, in the flavor, which is just a little bit. You, you may accentuate that with a little acid. And you most are back sweetened very lightly. Um, hard seltzers, if you haven't had them, uh, they're not sweet. They're not like Zima or anything. They, uh, uh, and in fact, that low-calorie approach is one of the primary like consumer drivers for it, a reason that people make them because they are lower in sugar, lower calorie, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they, uh, the industry is somehow – uh, 
well, they haven't done it, but the consumers have convinced themselves that it's healthy and, and the industry is <laughs> not trying to disabuse people of that right, uh, right. nature. And they've the 20, I, the 20 fewer calories that they have is so much better for you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think it was at the CBC conference. I learned this is that that people have done taste tests where they add progressively more sugar to different seltzers and progressively more of the flavoring and people always like it. And then they tell them the calories and then people, their preference goes back down to the one that tastes like TV static, uh, <laughs> you know, essentially to, to ask Ashton Lewis's phrase. Uh, um, and that is, you know, if there's one thing that, you know, consumer studies in, you know, packaged goods and beverages has always shown, it's that people always prefer sweeter. Uh, even if they say they don't, they do. Um, and I think you're right. It is just that consciousness, you know, but then show them a label that shows them 90 calories versus 110 and they'll convince themselves that they want the 90 calorie thing a little bit more than that. Um, you know, let's first talk about sugar sources. You know, there are you know, typically, um, what are the primary sugar sources that, uh, folks making hard seltzer are, are uh, looking to? Yeah, this is, this is the easy part. Uh, basically sucrose. Table sugar, widely available, cheap. Uh, that's what most of them are made from. You can also buy glucose, uh, which is also called dextrose, same same uh, thing. And those are together, though overwhelmingly like what what they're made of. You can, you know, you could go find other sources of sugar if you wanted to, but it's probably going to be more expensive, and it's you know it doesn't end up with any sugar flavor. All all you're doing is providing a carbon source for the yeast. So yeah, just plain old sucrose table sugar and, and or glucose, you know, corn sugar. And then the, there's a process of hydrating this and, and uh, you know, mixing it. Uh, and obviously gravity that uh, people are going to do that too is going to vary depending on, you know, what their goals are with the product. What do you find most commercial brewers are looking at for, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, starting finishing gravities or just, you know, overall ABV uh, for their hard seltzers? Uh, commercial brewers brew this at high gravity, uh, uh, they, they, they a strong sugar wash. And then after cleaning it up, dilute it down to working strength. And basically, uh, you know, it varies. It's going to depend on, they're going to want to brew something, uh, so that when they dilute it down, it dilutes to an even number of tanks for them, you know? So, uh, just the physical, you know, if they have two, uh, five, these, these aren't real exercise, sure. but you sure. know, just for, if they have two five barrel, you know, tanks and then one five barrel fermenter, they're going to want to make uh, like a 10% ABV solution so they can fill those two at 5% if, that, if that's what they're making, you know, so their setup uh, influences that they're uh, also just their ability to ferment uh, the, that amount of sugar, the higher you go, the slower it goes, the more finicky the yeast are so the and, and the more, you know, potentially the more cleanup you do. So, you know, they try to ferment as high of a uh, gravity sugar wash as they can get away with and fits in their brewery. Um, and for 18 to, you know, 22 bricks is, is you know, what a lot of them at least shoot for. Uh, some of them just maybe get, end up a little bit lower than that for, you know, any of a number of circumstances. But, you know, they definitely ferment at, at high, you know, commercially, they ferment at high gravity and, and dilute it down. Um, some brew pubs do it at, uh, just because they don't have, you know, uh, that they're not set up right. for high gravity brewing. 
Um, they don't have, you know, especially you need the, the, the deaerated water. So uh, a lot of brew pubs ferment at, at working strength, which also, which helps immensely with uh, the amount of cleanup, you know, you need to do. Because if you can ferment something at four or 5% alcohol, uh, it's not going to have a lot of esters. It's, you know, uh, it's just going to be a lot easier easier to handle and for homebrewers at home with multiple carboys it's a great way to get more more uh hard seltzer out of a single brew day um let's talk about water going in and before we get into the whole yeast question um you know from your talks how uh you know does water chemistry play into the kind of formation of hard seltzer uh you know versus uh that in beer yeah it's it's really not you know in in brewing you have uh, there's a lot of details about water chemistry, how, you know, uh, the pH uh, that, that uh, gets established in the mash due to your various mineral contents. And, and in hard seltzer, all you're doing is diluting sugar. So, so your water chemistry doesn't, in one sense, doesn't play a large role. In the other sense, because the product is basically water, you know, there's not a lot of strong flavors, whatever. Uh, it, needs to, it needs to taste good. So the the primary thing is cleaning up any uh, chlorine compounds, just as a brewery would anyway. So you know carbon filtration uh, for home brewers. You may maybe add a Camden tablet to your water, uh, and that'll take care of the uh, the monochloramines. Um, uh, and then you know I, I would recommend brewers at any scale taste their water and see what it tastes like. You know uh, because that's you know you're you're not brewing a strongly flavored water you know, or, or beverage that, that, you know, flavors can hide behind. So taste your water and you might need to, uh, if, if you've got a very low mineral content, you know, extremely soft water, you might want to add some calcium chloride or, or some gypsum or something, uh, just like they do in a lot of, uh, you know, packaged drinking waters, that, uh, just to, to make the taste better. But yeah, you don't, there's not a lot of worrying about, well, there's there's one aspect that I'm sure we'll get into, uh, but there's not a, a ton of worry about the mineral content in your water. If you if you get the the chlorine out of it and it tastes good, uh, you're there's ninety percent of the battle. Sure, sure. Uh, and then let's talk about yeast. I mean, this is a pretty important one, especially if you start, start talking about high gravity brewing. Um, you're looking for yeast strain. You know, we're gonna we'll talk about cleanup after this. Uh, you know, and obviously you're trying to uh, come out with as neutral a fermentation profile as possible. But you're also looking for an effective fermentation that can handle this much sugar. And then, of course, you're trying to make sure that these uh, these yeast can actually live in this pure sugar, no nutrient environment and continue to do what they do. So talk to me about, um, you know, some of the, the primary strategies around yeast that uh, brewers are using with hard seltzers. And then of course, uh, how you keep it alive and how you keep pushing it into, um, you know, handling these higher gravity brews. When you, when you mix up the sugar wash, it's sugar and water and, and that's it. So the yeast have a carbon source, but nothing else. So every brewer who's brewed it, successfully you've you've got to add yeast nutrients um you got to add a nitrogen source which which can be dap uh diammonium phosphate uh urea is another one um and and that'll add strictly nitrogen and then you you also need to add a, a blend of nutrients uh and and there are a lot of yeast and other brewer supply uh companies that manufacture some sort of blended yeast nutrients which is usually a mix of dap sometimes urea uh, there's a lot of yeast holes in it, which is just 
ground up yeast. So there's, you know, an endless you know, number of compounds in that. Uh, a lot of them will also zinc is, is, is something that brewer's yeast is, is, is a hog for, um, at least relatively. And uh, some of them will also add amino, amino acids and, and some vitamins. And uh, so anyway, you've, you've got to make your, your sugar wash is initially nutrient poor and you have to make it uh, adequate for the yeast you're using. And what most breweries do is first they try their house yeast to see if they can get it to work because obviously uh, they've got a source of their house, house yeast and, and switching to, you know, another yeast and having to maintain two cultures and, uh, you know, worry about cross-contamination. All that is a pain. So, so most breweries start out uh, uh, seeing if they can get their house yeast to work. And generally, if it's, if it's fairly attenuative and it has a high alcohol uh, tolerance, uh, they uh, just so current experience is fun, but there's there's a fair amount, you know, fairly large swath of of, of yeast strains from the whole, you know, spectrum that that do pretty good under the right circumstances. I mean, you need to you need to mess with the pitching rate. You need to you need to uh, vary your aeration. You have to try different yeast nutrients. You know, it's uh, I've I, I've <laughs> taken more than one uh, message from from commercial brewers who like just jumped in and like tried to start out at a production batch. And it was like, nothing's happening. And uh, one thing in the book, I, I highly recommend if you're a commercial brewer, brew some pilot batches, start at, even if you have to go out and buy, you know, a, a, a simple home brewing kit and do it at a five gallon scale, you know, get, get something ballpark first. And then, you know, if you have, if you have a small pilot system there, that's, you know, a couple of barrels or something, then get it to work there before you jump to your 30, 40 barrel system because you, you know, you, uh, yeah, people have a lot of trouble getting these fermentations to go. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science once you get down to it. If you add, uh, if you add between 250 and, and 300 parts per million free amino nitrogen, that's like 90% of the battle, you know, especially if you couple that with, you know, some yeast holes and stuff. But fine tuning it is, is something even, even, production brewers who are you know already have cans on the shelf they still talk about they're still tweaking the variables because you know for them if if they can tweak it so they the fermentation finishes a day earlier than it normally does you know that's money in the bank so uh I've forgotten what the question was. Now I'm just, now I'm just rambling. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, you know, so I have some questions about that. Oh, it was yeast strains. It was yeast strains. Uh, yeah, right? So we're talking about yeah. yeast strains and not, you know, um, there are different ways of doing that. I mean, I imagine there are brewers that are trying to make, that are making this with even like California ale and some of these oh, yeah. that can attenuate well, that are, they have a constant supply of from other, you know, um, are there, are there any, um, you know, in terms of, you know, effectiveness, uh, you know, how are there other yeast strains that um, you know others have found to be you know say wine yeast strains or others that are more you know high gravity tolerant and you know turn or you know work quickly that um, uh, you know that you found brewers move to over time or uh, are there specific techniques using some of these brewing yeasts that uh, that have, they have found to work that they just continue to stick with because they have that constant yeast supply? Uh, it's all over the map. Sure. Uh, at least from people I've talked to, um, I would say if you're a home brewer, uh, take a page from from bead makers and try uh, Lalvin D47 or Lalvin uh, EC hyphen triple one eight. Those are two uh, wine, white wine strains that mead makers use a lot. And, and making mead 
uh, has a lot of similarities to making a hard seltzer because with uh, mead, you start with a sugar um, sugar and water mixture, very low free amino nitrogen. It's not zero, but but it's low, and you know you have some similar uh, you have some similar problems. You have some dissimilar problems too. And then honey, when you mix it up, it has a already a low pH, and uh, sometimes the this fermentation can drive it low. But in a, a hard seltzer, you've got a mixture of sugar and water, and sugar isn't – it's not an acid. It's not a base. It's not even a buffer. Uh, it So uh, you start out at a high pH. And in fact, most uh, commercial brewers adjust their pH down to uh, basically what wort pH is at the beginning just because they're using beer yeast and, and it helps them – their their yeast acclimate. So if you're, if you're a home brewer uh, – knock your, your pH of your, your sugar wash down to about five and that'll, that'll help your yeast get off to a little bit faster start. Uh, it's not, it's not critical actually. Once the yeast hit, hit the sugar water, they'll, they'll start producing lactic acid like they always do. And, uh, given that there's no, there's no buffers in the system except for the yeast holes, but they're not added at any, there's, there's amino acids in the yeast, which are buffers, but not really enough to do anything. Right. And then they'll, you know, the pH is just going to start dropping once you, once you start fermenting. Uh, have you found any brewers that are, you know, kind of feeding fermentables into the fermentation after it started or staggering the, you know, that kind of sugar wash so that, um, you know, to, you know, basically what produce like less, uh, you know, um, shock on the yeast dealing, you know, in that high sugar environment from the start. I mean, I know, especially talking to folks like the brewery who are brewing, you know, Black Tuesday at 20% uh, beer, you know, they are feeding that fermentation as they go in order to, um, you know, keep the yeast functioning and growing and basically propping it up. You know, do you find brewers in this kind of sector doing the same thing or is it, you know, say at a 10%, uh, you know, goal, is that not going to destroy your yeast from the outset? I haven't found anyone who at least would admit to doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned in the book and go through some calculations for, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, start out by fermenting something that would be 10% ABB if you're shooting for 12 and, you know, let it, let it ferment down to, you know, uh, 20%, get rid of some of the sugar, then add that back. Uh, yeah, that's a, something that, uh, you know, is used in, in, in brewing very big beers. It's used in winemaking sometimes, uh, and uh mead making um but i i'm, I'm not aware of any commercial yeah. brewers at least anyone that that i can point to and say you know yeah this is exactly what they do uh how important is temperature in this whole process i mean i imagine you you know you're still going to clean up afterwards but your goal is to produce the cleanest possible fermentation you can so you have as little cleanup work to do afterwards and then that becomes what a balance between um you know time effectiveness yeast health and you know and uh you know temperature and stress uh you know are there some happy places that uh, the brewers have found to kind of you know position within that overall spectrum well if you're if you're using brewer's yeast as we all know brewer's yeast is fairly sensitive uh to uh temperature when it comes to ester production uh much more so than than wine yeast uh, generally. Um, so yeah, if you're, a, if you're a brewer, um, you want to run your fermentation sort of at the, at the middle to low end uh, of the temperatures, you know, the temperature range for that yeast simply because you don't want a bunch of, uh, you know, esters or, or anything else, uh, acetaldehyde, uh, in, in your, in your, uh, fermented sugar wash in the, in your base beverage. Um, for, 
if you use wine yeast, there's a little less, uh, it's less critical, although you don't, you don't want to run them, you know, flat out at super high temperatures. Uh, you, you might be able to do that with a distiller's yeast. And interestingly enough, for, for reasons doing with distilling mostly, I think, uh, you can buy distiller's yeast that comes packaged with enough yeast nutrients in it to, to go through a fermentation. So that's what, uh, that's like an, an easy route. If you, if you don't want to, you know, use your own yeast and, and do all the fine tuning, uh, some of these, uh, distillers yeast are, are meant to be pitched into just sugar and, and to, to do the job. Uh, I'm sure some of the pros that you've talked to have some, uh, some interesting stories of, of some of the challenges that they've kind of faced and overcome during these fermentations. I want to ask you about that in a second. But first, Abe Beverage Equipment provides complete brewing and packaging solutions worldwide. Whether you're just starting out or looking to expand, Abe offers brew houses, tanks, canning lines, and more for small to medium-sized brewers. Abe has equipped over 1,000 breweries worldwide and has the best customer service in the industry. Call Abe Beverage Equipment at 402-475-BEER or visit abeequipment.com to learn more. That's abeequipment.com for complete brewing and packaging solutions. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and all-access exclusive merchandise. Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button to join now. And you can also read occasional stories in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine from my guest, Chris, right here, um, which we have to get you back in the magazine sometime again soon. It's been uh, it's been a few issues, Chris. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about, uh, you know, I won't, I won't call them horror stories, but let's talk about some of the common challenges that you found brewers um, encounter and how uh, some of the stories you may have heard and some of the strategies that those brewers have used to overcome some of those challenges, you know, in that kind of fermentation process. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the brewers would call them horror stories. If you've got, you know, one full, you know, fermentation vessel in your, in your brewery that's full and, and the, the gravity is just isn't dropping. That's, you know, uh, that's, that's, a, a, that's scary, a sleepless night right there for you. That's, or a, a yeah, that's a scary proposition. And, uh, the, the overwhelming hard problem or, or, uh, the overwhelming problem with hard seltzers is the fermentation. Um, I mean, everything else is when, once you, the cleanup is, you know, there's, there's some technical stuff with that, but, and once you get to there, then it's just, you know, mixing things together. Uh, it's like almost at that point, literally like making a cocktail, uh, less but, time pressure, keep fix, 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 just keep working on it until it's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just make a small, you know, a series of, uh, what do they call that? Yeah, we'll uh, talk about we can talk about cleanup in a second. I am I really I yeah. want to you know talk to me about some of those you know the the stall stories and then you know are there strategies that brewers have used to then pull those things back around? Yeah, um, you you've got a couple options and it sort of depends on how how far the uh, the, the fermentation has gone. Um, uh, you know, and and it and it's happened. I've heard brewers say you know. Uh, they started it and just almost nothing happened and others that, you know, it got two, two thirds of the way through installed and, you know, it depends on how, on how much attention they paid to yeast nutrients at the beginning. And there's, there's a lot of things you can do just like in, in brewing. Uh, one of the things is if, uh, for a commercial brewery, if they have the ability to stir the tank 
Uh, Rousey Yeast in a suspension, that helps a lot of times. As a homebrewer, you can just take your cargo boy, boy and, you know, uh, and swirl it around. Um, letting the temperature raise a couple degrees, you know, up to raise it all the way up to, or maybe even a couple degrees above the uh, uh, recommended temperature range of that yeast, especially if it's most of the fermentation is done because you aren't going to get a lot of esters at, at, at the tail end. Um, you know, if you've completely botched it uh, and, and nothing's going on, there might be uh, be a good time to add yeast nutrients and add fresh, you know, uh, from pump, you know, 10% of the volume out of your tank and either make up fresh or, or get it, get, you know, that volume of uh, sugar wash fermenting and then pump it into your tank and get it to go. A um, couple things not to do are uh, aerate late. If you aerate late, it's going to, the yeast are going to dump a bunch of diacetyl out, but since they're on the tail end of the fermentation, they aren't going to reabsorb it all like they normally do. Um, and also adding, adding yeast nutrients, you know, late in the game, uh, you know, some brewers do do the staggered nutrient addition, which became, you know, sort of popularized for, at least for home brewers through, uh, bead making, but you don't want to add yeast nutrients very late in the fermentation because if those stick around, uh, um, and, and they, you know, depending on what you do for cleanup, especially if you do a tight filtration, they shouldn't, but, uh, you don't want, uh, you don't want, well, you know, you don't want anything that can be act as a food source for contaminants in your in your, your beverage at the end. So adding adding yeast nutrients late is not a good idea. Yeah. So basically, stir the tank, rouse the yeast, uh, raise the temperature a little bit, uh, add, you know, uh, take out a, a, some and, and add in some strongly fermenting uh, sugar wash. And an, and another thing to check is the pH. Uh, yeast really start to struggle, especially a lot of brewers' yeast uh, at lower pH, and, and for a lot of them, three point five is sort of a tipping point. Uh, if the uh, pH has, has gone below that, uh, raise it up. Just just baking soda, sodium bicarbonate, uh, is, is going to absorb some of the acids and, and raise the pH. And um, in that case, you want to you would want to raise it like just barely enough to get the fermentation started. You don't want right. to zip it all the way back up to five because you want it to finish at it should finish at a fairly low pH because most uh, most of these are, are are canned at a pH of about three point one, which is uh, they're not. If you ever had a hard seltzer, they're not sour, but they they've got a little bit of a you know you can call it zing or whatever, or there's a crispness to them uh, that that comes from having a fairly low pH. It's in the sort of in the ballpark of what what a white wine finishes at. Uh, it's lower than a beer, and um, no, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, in, it's going off on a tangent. In terms of, of yeast pitch rates, um, are mm -hmm. they you know, generally equivalent to what, what uh, you'd pitch into wort, higher, lower? Uh, most breweries pitch at, at about the normal rate for their uh, yeast. And then they're doing it high gravity, so they, they're doing their beer high gravity. Um, and, so, and so they've yeah. got the yeast pitching rate work for that. If, if, if a brewery does it at uh, – at their their normal strength, you know, if they ferment beers, uh, real beers at, at at normal working gravity, then then they're gonna have to fiddle with their uh, pitching rate. But usually, the the standard like ale rate of uh, you know it's usually quoted as a million cells per milliliter per uh, degree Plato, um, that holds generally. And then what you know breweries 
obviously they don't they're not all on that ex, you know exact right. uh and you can you know uh if you understand that most of the the byproducts that have any sort of flavor consequence like esters uh get produced during yeast growth not during fermentation uh pitching a little bit more yeast to start with not you know don't go nuts but uh pitching a little more yeast is going to cut down on the growth phase and get you into fermentation faster and cut down on that. There, there are brewers, you know, of course, when, you know, when something's good, like adding yeast nutrients helps or adding more yeast, uh, people, you know, of course have overdone it and they, you know, they found there's, there's problems with, uh, excessive yeast growth that, uh, the, the yeast end up dying and, and, uh, contributing off flavors to the sugar wash, which you don't want. So, um, yeah, normal pitching rate, a little bit higher, you know, uh, aeration rate, keep it, you know, in line with what you usually do, usually six to eight parts per million oxygen. And, uh, you know, between that and, and the, uh, the yeast nutrients, you should get a good fermentation. But it, I mean, it's interesting in that you've, you've really got to get all your ducks in a row. Like in, in home brewing, you sort of, you boil your wort, you don't, you don't need to worry about yeast nutrients you don't you know people have all sorts of you know half-assed ways of uh aerating their word and uh you know and and you people you know don't really have any you know don't try to take any control over their pitching rate and generally beer works out you know you just you, hey i made beer, right. you know um but in in if you try to do a hard seltzer that way you're just going to fail i mean just flat out there's no hope um you've yeah you've got to get You've got to get the yeast nutrients. You got to get the aeration. You got to get your pitch rate right, and then, you know, uh, if you if you ballpark it, like start with a recipe or start with the recommendations in my book, you're still like if you're going to go into production, like you're going to brew this over and over and over, you're you're still going to need to find out exactly, you know, you're going to have to tweak your variables with your with the exact yeast you're using, the exact you know aeration you're using, and the and the know other factors yeah. and all that let's um let's talk about cleanup for a second obviously now you, you know you've got uh you know this fermented uh hard seltzer base um you move into that phase of wanting to um you know kind of strip out any of the kind of fermentation characters so that you're really just pushing out uh almost uh you know pure ethanol water kind of of solution um what are the common methods uh, and whether, you know, for filtration and, and for that kind of cleanup process, um, you know, what are the kinds of things the brewers should be paying attention to as they start moving through that process? Yeah, as as a home brewer, a nice thing about home brewing a hard seltzer and doing it at, at sort of working gravity is, is you might be able to skip that phase. You, you know, just cold crash it and, you know, you're not you're not selling or hopefully not <laughs> selling uh your beverages, or if you are, you're running a follow the law. But you know, and if you look at it and it looks basically clear and acceptable to you, you can skip that. Um, and as a home brewer, or even as a uh, a brew pub brewer, you could try fining. If you start with a PVPP, uh, polyvinyl something something, uh, I forget the whole name, but uh, sold under a lot of homebrew shops sell it as polychlor AT, or there's also polychlor and some other designators, but. Uh, Polychlor AT is one used or sold in a lot of homebrew shops. Um, if you find with that and then you follow it up with uh, finding with activated carbon, which is sometimes sold as enological carbon, um, you can you can clean up a homebrewed beverage or, or even one at a, uh, a brew pub, you know, very well. 
Um, you should note, especially if you're a brew pub brewer, that uh, carbon makes a big mess. You're, you're going to have a black sludge at the bottom of your, you know, uh, your fermentation vessel. If you're a home brewer, it's not that big deal. Just wash it out. But it's you know more of a deal if if you know you're brewing uh, commercially and, and time is money and you know you can't have a mess everywhere. Um, uh, craft or yeah, like brew pub brewers. Also, if you could rig up, if you could rig up like a grant that had a bed of activated carbon and, and recirculate through it. Uh, that's another way to go. Uh, big breweries, of course, or if, if we skip to the biggest breweries, they'll do like nano filtration or, uh, you know, uh, reverse osmosis or something to clean these up. But for normal, uh, or well, but as a craft brewer would think of normal production size breweries, a lot of them, they just use their, their plate filtration system, uh, clean it up as, as you normally would with a beer and then uh, do a filtration through activated carbon. And that, um, you know, and there's there's plates that go into the, you know, the, the plate filters that most of these brewers already have. And basically the thickness of the, uh, of the carbon filter is going to determine how much you, how much character gets scrubbed out of the sugar wash. And, and you're shooting to remove any off odor, uh, any off color, and any off flavor. And uh, they uh, all the all the places that supply breweries now have you know given the craze uh, uh, sell the filters and, and tell you the various grades and, and what they do. Um, one interesting thing if you've got a if you've mostly cleared something up and, or or at the end of fermentation if only odor is the problem if there's no off flavors and no off colors or at least not to your liking you can bubble CO two through the solution and that will take care of the problem as well. Um, that's especially for homebrewers. That might be something that if you, if you've, you know, it looks basically clear, but basically nice, but has some, uh, you know, just like some estuary aroma, you know, uh, you might try, um, just bubbling CO2 through it. Uh, just hook your, you know, your normal aeration stone instead of hooking it to you know, an oxygen tank to aerate, hook it to your CO2 tank. Um, one thing to be wary of though, or be aware of is right after fermentation, your, uh, sugar wash is going to be saturated with carbon dioxide. If you just turn on, you know, turn it on, you know, a bunch of bubbles at once, they're going to just, you know, it's going to well up and, and, you know, you're going to be cleaning hard seltzer off your ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah. So start, start slow. Probably, yeah. you know, I would, I would take sanitize a, a mash paddle or something. If you got a stainless steel one or a big spoon, you know, stir a little while, just knock some of the CO2 out of solution. And then uh, when you start out, just crack the S uh, the regulator, uh, just, you know, start out as, as slowly as you can and let it wait till, you know, you see bubbles coming, you know, that made the whole trip from the top to the bottom very slowly. And then, then start adjusting up if you need. And then just while you're doing it, if you're homer, just swirl the vessel and, uh, you know, it should, it should take care of, uh, you know, you just take samples as you go. And, and once the problem's taken care of, stop. Um, oxygen is not as, you know, crucial a thing to pay attention to then at that phase, you know, am I reading you right? Obviously there's not as, uh, you know, there's not as many, uh, volatile compounds, uh, in this kind of, you know, base as there might be in a beer. And so not, uh, the same kind of level of spoilage possible from, uh, from oxygen ingress, um, you know, but how much you know, attention should a brewer pay to it? So given that, most brewers are hyper cautious about those kinds of things. 
Yeah, and and with good reason. Like uh, beer has a, a relative lot of like fatty acids and things left over in it. It's not a majority, you know, comp, but it, there's enough in it that uh, if if oxygen is present, these turn into uh, compounds such as transtudinol that are, are staling, and and there's basically there there's none of that in in a hard seltzer. There's there's very little uh, that that is going that can be staled by oxygen. Although once you add the flavors, that that changes a bit. Right. Right. Uh, so they still when they when brewers dilute it to working strength, they still use deaerated water. Uh, in probably in part because if, if they brew high gravity beers already, they're, they're already set up to do it and that's already the, the protocol. So why change? Um, but yeah, you should, you should be care If you're doing any kind of dilution, you should be careful with oxygen. And if you're, if you're, you know, as, as a home brewer, you know, you don't want to splash it around excessively, but the worries of a hard seltzer going stale are, are, uh, you know, a good step less than uh, they are with beer, just because the the sort of compounds that go stale in beer aren't present in a hard seltzer. And you do make a good point that any oxygen you then introduce at that point can later impact the kind of flavors that you add into it and then create a future problem, even if it's not a problem at the time that you're, you know, kind of processing around that. Let's, um, let's use that segue and talk a little bit about then adding flavor into hard seltzer. Um, generally, no one likes uh, unflavored hard seltzer. I haven't seen, a, uh, you know, anyone release just, uh, you know, straight uh, unflavored hard seltzer. Uh, I could be wrong, and I'm sure someone will email me and correct me on this uh, after the the podcast airs. But um, you know, the the sector is defined in a lot of ways by the kind of common hard seltzers, you know, Lacroix and others that uh, are common regular seltzers, um, you know, that people consume. And you know, those generally are using what light essences, um, you know, for for flavoring. You know, from your discussions with, uh, you know, professional brewers where, you know, and I shouldn't say this, we're starting to see a broader spectrum now in the hard seltzer space. And, uh, you know, if, if I look at the last 18 months of hard seltzers that, uh, you know, the various brewers have sent us, you know, for kind of review and feedback and everything else, like, um, you know, we see everything from perfectly bright and clear, you know, lightly essenced seltzers with minimal flavor, you know. Uh, in that kind of high LaCroix carbonation to now um, hazier, murkier, real fruit conditioned seltzers um, we've you know that are still relatively low in sugar and then all the way into that kind of hard seltzer is kind of pseudo canned cocktail used with a sweeter approach also um, hazier, no real um, you know or a uh, a color and body that is driven by flavor and you know ingredients more than it is by an end goal for a consumer expectation about uh, you know clearness and brightness and so so there is this broader spectrum but uh, you know uh, from your conversations with brewers, um, let's you know talk to me a little bit about that kind of range of ways that brewers are um, you know pushing these flavors in. And then one thing I'm curious about is you know especially with essence being a you know primary flavor driver on the lighter side of seltzer. Um, talk to me about solubility and how um, you know brewers make sure that these flavor ingredients can and do remain in suspension in these. Yeah. Um... Well, first of all, there have been some blank hard seltzers released. White Claw had a version, okay. Um, and some, I'm not, I don't see a lot of them on the shelves. I don't think they're super popular, but uh, the, 
they exist at least. Although, I mean, right now, as you said, the, uh, uh, the, the spectrum of, of different heart cells is definitely increasing, you know, um, from the, there was sort of the classic hard seltzer and then came the, the higher alcohol ones, then came the slightly higher sugar ones or the ones flavored with stevia. And, and you know, now they're all over the board. Um, commercially, most of the flavors, they just buy um, commercial flavor extracts. And you've, as a commercial brewery, you have to worry about, you know, all sorts of TTB and, and FDA regulations. Sure, sure. And, uh, and the nice thing, though, is, of course, the, the manufacturers are more than aware of this. And if you buy their flavoring, they have all the you know, all the numbers and reporting and, and you, um, most flavors have ethanol in them. And as a brewer, a commercial brewer, you have to account for that in your, in your alcohol estimates. And, uh, so there, you know, um, for commercial brewers, they use the, uh, the highly concentrated, uh, commercial extracts that are, they're used, you know, in the uh, food industry. Um, a nice thing about home brewing is you can use, um, you know, natural, you can use juices, you can, you can use soda pop, which is not a natural thing, but, uh, you know, easy, you can use, you know, uh, you can make tinctures of things, you know, you can take, uh, an empty spice file and, and put something that you want to flavor your hard seltzer within and then cover it with like vodka and let it sit for a week and just make a, you know, a, a flavor concentrate, uh, you know, as a home brewer, uh, you know, not having to worry about, uh, uh, you know, FDA labeling or, or a TTB approval, you can get away with a lot of things and you can do, you know, a, a nice thing about homebrewing is you can make, if you wanted to, you can make a, uh, a hard seltzer that actually tasted good. You know, if you, if you, <laughs> if you don't care about the calories, you right, know, add, right, add right. enough, add enough, you know, it doesn't need to be, you know, yeah. sweet to the point of Zima, but you could add something sweet to the point where it, it tasted pretty good and you could add enough, you know, uh, add enough of whatever flavoring, you know, you can use, uh, you could use actual limes instead of, you know, artificial lime flavoring. You could use cranberry juice. You could use, uh, you know, you could use cider, you know, there's, uh, right. the hard seltzers have shied away from making apple flavors probably because they don't want to, uh, blur the line between that and cider. Same with grape. Uh, so as a, as a homebrew, you have a wide, uh, you know, a wide variety of options that you can, can explore that would be either, you know, not possible or, or less financially, you know, viable for a commercial brewer and about solubility and keeping it in suspension. I, I haven't heard anything about that being a problem. I mean, I would, uh, yeah, I just, I shouldn't say anything because I don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Now, and I imagine since we're talking about, you know, commercial, you know, flavor formulations and companies that are specifically selling these to commercial breweries in order to, to do that, then they've solved some of the solubility and, uh, you know, kind of suspension, yeah. suspension issues and, uh, you know, specifically designed uh, products for that. Uh, no, it's funny. I actually, you know, we owned a, a beer bar a number of years ago uh, for about a year. I kept thinking at the time, like if I could get some unflavored, you know, malt base that we could then, you know, pre-mix uh, quote unquote cocktails in and then mm -hmm. serve them off of tab. That'd be a great, uh, you know, kind of strategy for, uh, you know, for a, a venue that didn't have a liquor license or couldn't serve hard alcohol to be able to serve quote unquote cocktails. Uh, and, right. and now we've got, um, you know, even on a consumer spectrum, you've now got, uh, you know, hard seltzer makers that are basically pre-making those kinds of things and providing them out there into the market. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, finishing 
the uh, you know hard seltzer and the you know a primary component of that that may be overlooked or not thought about as much as it should be is um, carbonation. You know, this is obviously this is a bright and a zippy you know drink, and you know if you start talking about the not you know the regular seltzers that people consume and that kind of create the consumer expectation for seltzer in general. They're all generally highly carbonated. Um, you know, in your discussions with brewers, where are they kind of, you know, aiming at for carbonation for these, um, you know, in order to provide that kind of, uh, you know, experience on the palate while people are drinking them? Yeah, the, the standard for uh, hard seltzers, at least the, the you know, 4 to 5% alcohol ones that, that, that gain popularity is around uh, 2.8 volumes of CO2. Um this is higher than, you know, most American craft beers and American Pilsners are right around 2.5, 2.6. Um, so it's higher than that. It's lower than uh, German Hefeweizens, which are, you know, Weizen beers are, those are a lot of times four to five volumes of CO2. And, and, you know, it's definitely less than like Champagne, which can range up to six volumes of CO2. But they're they're spritzy. And, you know, the ones that are packaged in cans are generally right around 2.8. A lot of... Uh, a lot of brew pubs go with their normal carbonation level just because they don't want to rebalance their their whole draft system to to accommodate you know that that one beverage, um, and that's fine. Um, and, and again, as as a home brewer, you're free to do whatever you want. You can if you want to make one with five volumes of CO two, you know, go ahead and do it. Uh, but commercially, two point eight volumes of CO two is what's added, and that adds uh, you know uh, just a nice like zip or zing or you know whatever. You, you want to call it and in conjunction, especially with a lot of these, um, most of the flavors for, you know, all, like nearly all of the fr- flavors that show up are fruit flavors. Uh, you know, there's some herbs and, and some stuff, but a lot of those are even go along with a fruit flavor. And so a little bit of acid, a lot of times is added either like citric acid. If you're making like lime or grapefruit, which are two of the most popular flavors or, or orange, uh, or lemon, you know, uh, adding a little more citric acid sort of sharpens up the, the little flavor that you do have. If you're going with anything else, uh, cherry, peaches, uh, all those other, you know, stone fruits, a little malic acid, which is the uh, uh, sometimes called the apple acid. Um, you know, very, when you bite into a, a Granny Smith apple and, and there's that, that acidic, you know, crunch to those apples, that the acidic thing that's malic acid. Um, so that's added to, to sharpen up the flavor and also to drive the pH down to about 3.1 because uh, at that level, there, there's sort of, you know, you've reached a level of biological stability that, that very, you know, few contaminants are going to be able to live in a 4 or 5% ethanol solution with, you know, at a pH of 3.1. So, um, yes, that's cool. Um, we're uh, we're starting to, to get long on time here. You know, if there is... A piece of advice um, that you may not have shared with a brewer professional or home brewer uh, interested in making their own hard seltzer, um, what would that be? Do do test batches. Start small. If you're a home brewer, even if you're a commercial brewer, start. Get line up every gallon jug you have, and uh, you know, uh, start with start with yeast yeast nutrients. You know, uh, make up. You know half gallon, three quarters of a gallon of sugar wash and put it in the, the one gallon jugs and, you know, uh, same amount of yeast in everyone's same amount of aeration and then start, you know, adding between, 
you know, 250 and 300, or maybe even a little bit lower than that, uh, and see which, you know, uh, what ferments, what doesn't. And then, you know, start with the one that fermented completely, but use the, you know, the least amount of yeast nutrients and then sort of expand that out and do, do it, do a smaller range. You know, as a, as a homebrew, that's, that's probably overkill. Uh, you know, you should maybe one test, you know, fleet of test batches should be enough. But as, as a commercial brewer, you'd want to narrow it down a little bit more, especially since, um, and fermentation shouldn't take that long. Uh, and then, you know, if you're a commercial brewer, step that up to, if you have a pilot system and then go into production, uh, if you're a home brewer, you know, take, take a stab with a, a couple one gallon jugs, um, you know, um, as a home brewer about it, about a teaspoon of complete yeast nutrients of the type sold by like Y yeast sells some, uh, white labs sells some most, I think most of the other yeast suppliers sell some sort of thing that they label as complete yeast, yeast nutrients, about a teaspoon per gallon and maybe try that and maybe try like one and 1.2 teaspoons and maybe try 0.8 teaspoons and, you know, see if you can get that to ferment and then, you know, jump to a five gallon batch. I mean, if you, worst comes to worst, you, you know, you ruined four gallon or four pounds of sugar, right. you know, uh, not the end of the world. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely say, I mean, the, the overwhelming problem that the brewers at any level have is with fermentation and taking some time to do some smaller scale, uh, of fermentations just to, to get to ballpark it at least first and then then jump to, to larger scales is, is going to be more than worth most people's time. That makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe we'll finish up with, um, I would call it a million dollar question, but it's more like a billion dollar question at this point. Hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you some background. Two years ago, I made a, a bet with our co-founder of Craft Beer and Brewing, John Bolton, uh, my business partner. And I think hard seltzer is at about $500 million in sales a year. And, you know, we were asking the question at that point, like, is this cider, you know, has this now hitting a plateau where it doesn't grow any further? And I think I, I put a hundred dollar bet on the plateau and he's like, absolutely. Nope. You're wrong. And, um, you know, and then at the end of last year, I needed to, I had to pay him out. Although I still, I think I pushed <laughs> that bet forward and, uh, and I think we doubled or nothing on this year and, and oh my God, you know, and, and it just continues. <laughs> and now I think we're over a billion, $1.5 billion in revenue for the entire uh, commercial hard seltzer category in the United States. Um, from your perspective and in conversations with brewers and looking at their, you know, bullishness or bearishness on it, um, where do you think the future of hard seltzer looks like? Um, is this a continued growth? Are we starting to hit a plateau? Um, is this going to be, a, you know, like Zima, a quick trend that hits and then disappears? You know, what is the the consensus and how do you personally feel about that? Um, I don't really have any, any personal thoughts about it. I don't, I don't care one way or yeah, the other, yeah. you know, uh, but um, the, the industry sure is betting on it growing. Um, when it was, when hard seltzers were first introduced or at least first, the, the first big wave when, when white law, white claw became available and people started drinking it, it got pegged early as this is something that millennial females are going to drink in the summer and, and that's it. But over time, uh, very very quickly, they showed that males and females were buying it in roughly equal amounts, which is which is weird in, in fermented uh, beverages. You know, beer is strongly skewed towards males, whereas wine is, is skewed somewhat towards females. Uh, but hard seltzer is almost almost dead on fifty fifty, at least the last I heard. Um, 
and also it started out as like, you know, a broham drink for, uh, you know, Instagram followers. Uh, and, you know, so it was tightly, tightly associated with millennials at first, but the demographics have, you know, the age curve has just been slowly expanding year after year. Um, the re- uh, the resale uh, statistics are going up. If people try it, they're, they're very, very likely compared to other things to, to, to buy it again. And um, just basically every every prediction against it, you know, which were mostly made by people who who liked beer and made the the, the vast mistake of thinking that the flavor or lack thereof of hard seltzers was going to be some sort of impediment to their sales, um, which they're not. I mean, they're they they make they're they're made or break right now or made or broken right now on on the idea that they're somewhat more healthy. They're they're lower in calories. Uh, a lot of them advertise being gluten free. Um, a lot of them advertise uh, low carbohydrates, which ties into a bunch of fad diets like uh, uh, what is it, the South Beach right. diet, and keto, all those. and yeah. Uh, yeah, keto and and all sorts of dumb stuff. Uh, and and so yeah, I you know I don't I don't have any personal stake into it uh, except for wanting to sell my book. <laughs> <laughs> available today through brewers publications and uh but uh but the industry certainly is banking like the they're building new breweries specifically for these and they're and uh um a lot a lot of craft breweries are are jumping on the bandwagon um and even a lot of them interestingly enough are like there's a lot of talk in, in the beginning about uh, breweries, craft breweries, brewing these, but then branding them as something else, and then having the name of their brewery in tiny print somewhere, you know, to fulfill legal obligations. But a lot of breweries are just putting them out as uh, the, the brewery branded, and then hard seltzer, yeah. you know, Bud Light hard seltzer. Which, when you think about it, makes no sense. What's you know, it's not Bud Light is a kind of beer, and now you're saying it's a yeah. So, but breweries are willing to. St- just slap their names on them. We're now. seeing more of these and, mixed packs where breweries are you know, mixing in their hard seltzers along yeah. with their beer. Even, um, oh, I, really? I'm seeing a wow. few of those out there. And so, right. You know, I think the, the hard and fast lines or the kind of brand separation that we might've predicted around that, or is, um, it's getting a lot more messy and complex than we might've thought it would. And, you know, having said yeah. that, like we've tasted some really good ones. Um, you know, I, it's, I put my uh, professional credibility at risk when I say it, but there are certainly <laughs> some hard seltzers out there now. You know, we've had plenty that. Which which <laughs> ones did you like? Um, we did an editor's pick uh, two issues ago in craft beer and brewing, and uh, where I, I we were uh, Joe and I tasted through a whole bunch of seltzers um, and some really fascinating ones. Untitled Art and their Florida seltzer line is, uh, cool. you know, they've they've given up that purely bright approach and they're using real fruit puree in order to, uh, and it produces a, a hazier, um, you know, seltzer, but it has a, there's a beautiful fruit component to it. And if you, you know, if you're into that kind of agua fresca, wanting something refreshing, but light and very much fruit flavored, not a bad, not a bad seltzer at all. Um, Boulevard's cork seltzers are some of the best in the game. They're not perfectly bright, but they're very, they're, you know, they're, they're not hazy either. Um, but there is just a, 
you know, a, uh, an interesting directness to the fruit flavor that, um, without having a high sugar approach that I just find really endearing. And so, uh, you know, there, there are a few others past those we're working on our best in beer issue this year. And, uh, we've been kicking around like what, how are we going to put together a list of our favorite hard seltzers? Because it just seems like something that we need for this year. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I agree with you there. It's, it's not going away. It, it may not be the future of beer, but I don't think there is a future. There are many futures, and, um, you know, and I think the key to success is making things that varying types of drinkers want to drink. Um, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GD Chillers. Gambrinus Rye delivers spicy, grainy, and bready notes with suggestions of vanilla and sweet dough. Mountain Rose Herbs offers the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Grandstand is your source for the latest trends in branded drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. Abe Beverage Equipment offers complete brewing and packaging solutions, and Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. Um, Chris Colby, if people want to learn more about what you do or buy a copy of this book, which they absolutely must do if they want to um, make hard seltzer themselves, uh, where do they find you? Where do they find the book? Uh, the book's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, it's it's in bookstores, too. It's book <laughs> and uh for people looking for other information there's there's my uh, website beerandwine.com or beerandwinejournal.com and um there, there's nothing on it about hard seltzer yet but um obviously that you know, i just put a book on that's coming and um yeah i mean i also think that this this is brand new right now so uh there's gonna be uh you know, there's going to be new information coming out all the time. People are going to, uh, we're going to figure out something new. They're going to try something new. It's, it's also possible that, uh, the commercial regulations that, that regulate hard seltzers right now might change because, uh, a lot of people in the spirits industry, I think aren't happy that now the brewing industry is basically putting out, you know, something that's a cocktail and getting, uh, taxed at, at a 6% rate like brewers are rather than, the rate of like there are a few hard seltzers that are that are actually like distilled spirits added to water but those those would get taxed at a higher rate so the 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 taxation scheme might change and that could change hard seltzers too because they're one thing in the in the history part of the book like the only point i make is that nobody asked for hard ciders people weren't saying you know i want something clear and fizzy and tasteless uh you know, it just, the, the TTB regulation changed that malt uh, or that sugar could be used as a substitute for malt. And some people said, well, if we can do that, we can, what if we did 100% sugar? And, you know, they, they brewed something up and test marketed it and and it hit. So, uh, you know, further changes in the regulation might, you know, spur some other beverage, which, you know, uh, may or may not hit. I mean, a lot of the, the fermented beverage industry has had a lot of flashes in the pans. You know, there there was there was SEMA, uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, uh, not your father's uh, yeah. but beer, and you know before that Champagne going way back in the day, Malt Duck, if anyone's old enough to know that reference. Um, you know, uh, so there's you know brewers try anything, you know, and, and yeah. you know good yeah. because of, you know that. Uh, innovation has brought us, you know, things other than malt duck. You know, there's also you know, uh, West Coast IPAs and, and that turned into double IPAs. And uh, you know, uh, 
History <laughs> history is being made <laughs> while we drink it and while we brew it. Um, yeah. Yes, and and changes changes are For coming sure. from from a technical aspect of how to do what we're doing now yeah. and uh, new ideas. What will definitely be flowing into into the know uh, collective consciousness of fantastic well chris thanks for joining us on the podcast today really appreciate you uh sharing your insight and perspective on uh how to brew hard seltzer uh yeah thank you for having yeah. me on the cheers. show cheers this podcast is brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.